so you can't see much of me now with all of this. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. Um, I'm Jacqueline um, Primrose, and my husband Colin brought me down this morning. I have been before. Um, I've been down for Colin's retiral and for Nick's induction, but that was a wee while ago. And I've been on this stage lots of times before as well, because I'm originally from Kilmarnock, and I've played at the Air Music Festival with my knees knocking, um, with fear and trembling as I got adjudicated for cornet, cornet solos. So it's much less scary being here with you this morning. Um, a wee bit more about ourselves. We've got three kids, um, Deborah, Gillian and David, and finally this, well, last year, they all moved out. Um, you would think that would mean we had more space in the house, but it doesn't, because they moved out and they left all the things that they didn't want to take with them. So we didn't gain any extra rooms, but never mind. Um, I was also in the Kolkata trip with Christine Kling, so I've got that association with you all as well. I should have been here last, last February, but if you're wondering where this came from, um, about last February I was in the middle of getting a test and stuff at a hospital, and it turned out I had a really sort of stinking big tumour in here, which they took out and cut nerves and things like that. So I've, my, my leg's a bit numb, so I'm inclined to fall over, hence the sort of forest gump look. Um, so at least I didn't go my length. It's uh, not a good look coming down to preach and then sort of falling flat in your face. Anyway, Nick's been a great prayerful support um, over the time. He's been um, sending me emails and getting in touch. And he's, I'm sure you'll know already, he's a really great guy. Anyway, on to the reading. Now, just these amazing things happen. You've already heard part of the reading this morning in the introduction about Bulgaria. But our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus reads um, a bit of Isaiah. So Luke 4, 14 to 30. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning the miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. 
certainly. There were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the living word. Speak through these words so they are not just knowledge to puff us up, but they are transformational in our lives to change and challenge us and make us more like you, to reflect your light and love and truth and grace in this world and bring joy to all who hear it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I quite enjoy watching the review of the year programmes that are so common between sort of Christmas and New Year. And I'm always struck about how much I've forgotten. And Colin and I sit in the living room and say things like, that can't be this year. It just feels like last week. Or, that was only last month or so, that could be six months. And then there's the the list of the people that have died and you sort of haven't heard of some of them and feel quite sad and it's a bit shocking. And as well as all these programmes recalling the events of the years past, there are also lists of who won what or what the the favourite babies' names have been that year or who got the most music downloads and all those sort of things. And one of the things I read a couple of weeks ago was the Collins Dictionary's Word of the Year. And I wonder if any of you saw it, or if you'd be prepared to hazard a guess what last year's Word of the Year was. It's two words, actually, if that's a help. Fake news, you're absolutely right. Fake news was named Word of the Year following what the dictionary called its ubiquitous presence over the last 12 months. It said that the use of the term had increased 365%, a percent for every day. Um, We know why that might be. Interestingly, Donald Trump claimed that he'd invented the term, which was in fact fake news because he hadn't, because it's been about about for a while. But yes, we have heard a lot about fake news over the last 12 months. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, made mention of this in one of his Christmas messages. His ecumenical Christmas letter to the churches, um, he said this, This year we've learned a new phrase in various parts of the world. This phrase is fake news. Fake news is dishonest. It is deliberate misinformation published in order to deceive, to confuse and disrupt Fake news is used as a weapon to achieve dishonest advantage and to subvert honest debate and discussion. It is the antithesis of good news. Fake news is but lying and does not come from God. 
Well, so many things tell us fake news. We are bombarded with information every day. And it can be difficult to tell the difference from truth from fiction. And it isn't just mistakes and um, like that missile alert last week in Hawaii. That was just somebody making a mistake and pressing the wrong button, although I'm sure it gave everybody in Hawaii a bit of a, a scare. Fake news is deliberate. A few weeks ago, um, one of the ex-Big Brother contestants was in the news and it said that she had died suddenly at 32. But actually somebody had hacked the Twitter account of Rebecca Shelton and was posting news on that of her death. And she quickly assured everybody that she hadn't died, but said that somebody had done that, had posted that fake news to hurt her and to cause her deliberate damage. Every day we are told stories of individuals or groups or governments or countries. We've got access to information like never before. And how can we tell fact from fiction? And it's not just the stories that constitute the fake news. It's things that get absorbed into our culture and we don't even notice that they're happening. They come through adverts and television programs, through films, and we learn all sorts of things. Things like, we should be able to do whatever we want. It's all about me, me first, others behind. We're the best, our team, our nation, our language, and we look after our own. We are entitled to comfort, health and happiness. We know our rights and we'll fight to make sure we get everything that we deserve. We are what we own. We need the best cars, the nicest stuff, the newest phone, the biggest TV, the fanciest watch or handbag. There's no higher authority than ourselves. And speed limits are for others and we won't be told what to do. Our young people measure their work, worth and likes on Facebook. And once we're older, we perhaps measure our worth by our job title or what people say about us. But this is fake news. So, this morning as we're bombarded with all these headlines and culture proclaiming fake news, we're going to think of God's approach. And this is good news. And we've been hearing so much of that this morning already. It's a great introduction to this. The Bible throughout the Old and New Testaments are full of proclamations about good news. We hear King David say, Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations and tell everything about the amazing things that he's done. Good news is announced at Jesus' birth by the angels. And good news is something that Jesus speaks about throughout the Gospels. And our reading this morning is one of the first of those. The word gospel means good news. The same as the Greek for evangelist, a bringer of good news. And we frequently hear Jesus talking about the good news of the kingdom of God. It's not just Jesus that talks about good news. After his death and resurrection, the apostles take up the role and preach the good news about Jesus throughout the land and further afield. And we can see from the number of mentions it gets, I think it's 128 in the New Testament, that it's really significant. And we are told 
that we need to spread the good news to. In Mark's gospel, Jesus commands all his followers to go into all the world and preach the good news. So we better know what the good news is. God is good. And from the very beginning, we see his good work in creation and everything that is made. And he isn't a distant creator. You see him walking in his creation. He walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. After the perfection of that interaction is wrecked by sin, he doesn't stop either. He doesn't go off in the huff or anything like that. He's constantly working throughout the Old Testament to bring his people back to him, to show his love and his grace. He's discipling them and interacting them and trying to help them to be the blessing to the world that they were created to be. And then when you read the story through in the Old Testament, sometimes they manage it and they live well and they're a blessing and are blessed. But far too often, there are times when they live in disobedience and rebellion and bring God's discipline down upon themselves. In the book of Judges, we see this pattern over and over again. The Israelites do evil in the Lord's sight and then the Lord burns with anger and gives them over to a conqueror. And then they cry out, repent, and the Lord raises up a rescuer to save them. And then they do all right for a wee while, and then they do evil again, and it just goes on and on and on and on. You'd think we'd learn. (laughs) In the records of the kings of Israel, you see again too, there's a good king, and then there's a bad king, and then there's a worse king, and then there's a good king again, and then that goes on too. And they sort of just try and outdo themselves in evil. But the good news in the New Test, in the Old Testament is about a just, loving, merciful and compassionate God being present with his people. But another strand in the Old Testament is the good news of a Messiah. Emmanuel, God with us, who would rescue not only Israel, but the whole world. Then in the New Testament, the words of the angel, I bring you good news of great joy to all people. God breaks decisively into history. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, empties himself of his glory and his power and becomes human. And this is good news. Forever after, God isn't just present with us, but is present having fully experienced what it's like to be us. He's not just walking in the world with us. He's walking in the world as us. And as we heard in the reading, Jesus starts to indicate that he's not just talking about the good news, he is the good news. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I wonder what that meant to the people who are actually sitting listening to Jesus. I suppose it would remind them about the year of Jubilee, as commanded in Torah. In Leviticus 25, if you want to read the chapter later, it says, Then on the day of of atonement in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. 
It will be a jubilee year for you, and each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your old clan. Every 50th year was about freedom. The Israelites were commanded to cancel all their debts, release all their slaves, give their fields a rest, and the nation was put back to rights again, remembering that ultimately they belonged to God and everything they had was a gift from him. So in this passage, Jesus was saying that he was the total fulfillment of everything being put back to rights. Where Israel had failed to display the perfect relationship to God that they were created to do, Jesus was not only going to model a perfect life, but he was going to make it all possible through his death and resurrection that all of us could be reconciled to God through him. Indeed, that all of creation would be reconciled to him. He would be the good news. And that's the, it is finished of the crucifixion. And then it's funny, given that that was all good news, that the people went so quickly from praising him to wanting to throw him off off a cliff. Begin with, we heard that the people listening to Jesus were really happy with it. They were really happy that he was saying he was the good news. They were a bit surprised that a carpenter's son, that they knew was going to be that, but they were, that was okay. What started to make them angry was that Jesus was saying that the good news was for the Gentiles too. That he wasn't saying, make Israel great again. And that's what the people were looking and hoping for. The stories he used about the Sidonian widow and the Syrian Naaman were saying that God wanted to bless others perhaps even in preference to the disobedient Israelites. And this is what wasn't what the people listening thought the good news should look like at all. And they turned quickly from praising Jesus to wanting to kill him. And that's perhaps a good snapshot of our sinful human nature. It's easy to want blessings for ourselves, rather to want blessings for the other, us first, jobs, healthcare, schooling. And that's not pretty, but it's true. So what does good news mean? This is where I'd rather be standing. It's a restored relationship with God received by faith. It's forgiveness of sins. It's freedom from shame. It's our worth in knowing that we are loved by him. It's power to change And God giving us his peace and his joy. We're adopted into his family and we can experience the Holy Spirit. God is with us. We can be part of heaven breaking in now. We have the privilege of being co-workers with Christ. We have hope in the future. And we know that ultimately there will be justice and no more pain or sorrow or death or tears. And I'm sure you could add more to that list as well. This is the good news. And good news doesn't actually seem quite a big enough word to explain it. And this is the good news that we are commanded to share. And we can only do it if we really believe it's good news. Because so often Christianity is portrayed as a a killjoy, a list of do nots to spoil our fun and to judge one another with. And we seem to be come having known for telling others what not to do which seems really unattractive 
and the media pick up and things like that, and we're treated with suspicion. Last year, Tim Farron stood down as leader of the Liberal Democrats. In his resignation statement, he said he felt that remaining faithful to Christ was incompatible with leading his party. He said that being a political leader, especially of a progressive Liberal Party in 2017, and to live as a committed Christian, told faithfully to the Bible's teaching, has felt impossible for me. I seem to be the subject of suspicion because of what I believe and who my faith is in, in which case we are kidding ourselves if we think we live in a tolerant liberal society. Scripture union groups are looked at cautiously by parents and staff, and Christian union groups stopped by universities. We aren't perceived as good news, especially in the media. And perhaps as Christians we need to repent of how we've misrepresented the good news of Christ and apologise to those we've hit over the head with our self-righteousness. Don't misunderstand me, sometimes we do need to stand up against things. But the gospel is good news. But if Christians stopped volunteering and working and praying in and for the community, people would notice 80% of the the nation's mother and toddlers groups are run by churches, lunch clubs, dementia support groups, Christians holiday clubs, Christians against poverty, and so much more voluntary support coming from Christians. If you listen this morning, this church is so involved in being good news. You're involved with street pastors, and that's commended by the police and clubs and councils. You're involved in the food banks. There's the community gift exchange. You did your bikes for Christmas things. There's involvement with broken chains. Ellie's going to do a Kaylee. You're going to Bulgaria. And you you can all volunteer this morning, I see from the notice, that you can go and help paint um, the Cancer Support Centre. That is all good news. In the past, Christians have worked to abolish, abolish slavery, improve prisons, develop healthcare and education, We started the hospice movement and with love and wisdom brought hope and justice and truth to others. We really can claim to be announcing good news. I wonder what you would say to somebody who asked you what the good news is. They might not put it exactly like that. They might say, why do you believe in God or why do you go to church? But I wonder what your answer would be. Personally, I would want to tell people a bit about my story of last year, as I told you earlier. Throughout all of it, and it wasn't always very pleasant, I knew that God was with me in everything. And the comfort and peace that deep knowledge brought. I really couldn't be worried about it. Um, That... The truth of Philippians, that you would know peace that exceeded understanding. That is so true. Um, The day after I had my first surgery um, in April, um, they had put in an arterial graft and it it popped. Um, One of the stitches came out the second day. And so um, I bled out into my tummy and lost double my blood volume. Um, So I had a sort of very near-death experience. Um, but all throughout that, as they were whizzing me down the corridors, down to um, emergency surgery again, 
I knew God was with me. I was playing the, praying the ironic blessing on myself. So the Lord bless me and keep me in wondering if that was a bit heretical, and, which is not really, the, I suspect, the thoughts you think you'd have um, being rushed to surgery. And I was praying for Colin and the kids. And just the thought of, of God being with me that the Ephesians 3 reading, how high and deep and wide and long was the love of Christ. And I felt completely held even in that... Um, sort of what should have been a scary moment I wasn't frightened at all I would also want to tell people about God's love that despite the fact that he knows me completely um, he knows all the things that I wouldn't want any of you to know I wouldn't even want Colin to know he loves me and that can never change and so I'm it, that's a completely safe relationship Nothing, nothing's going to change God's love for me he'll never abandon me and I can't disappoint him. And so I can completely trust him. What you might answer might be a bit different to that. But that should be news that makes our eyes sparkle. But what Jenny was talking about, about being captivated. It should show in our eyes and our faces that we know that this is good news. Um, it may be stories about good times. Or it may be stories about difficulties and hardship. But as disciples of Christ, we all have good news to talk about. At the end of the Justin Welby letter that I mentioned earlier, he spoke about the Christmas story and said, We like angels proclaim good news. And like the shepherds, we receive good news. The good news is good news for all people, whatever their situation in life. It is good news for politicians and leaders, but it's also good news for the rich.